of your eye, huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. Some kind of nonsense at work, but uh, well, I you know. know that. <clears throat> I saw in the paper that Tim Ryan is beating JD Vance at the moment. Not sure if I feel great or not about that because, <laughs> uh oh, because uh, I'm not a huge Tim Ryan fan, but JD Vance strikes me as really much of an idiot. Um, so I don't know. What are they running for? Senate? Yeah. Well, JD... Oh, this is to take what's his... what's his name's place. Yeah, J- JD Vance. I I saw in the paper filed some lawsuit, I believe, against the Ohio Supreme Court because he said it should be illegal for somebody to vote different party in November than they did in May. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you're seriously. That's your lawsuit. You really don't belong in politics. <laughs> I don't. Uh, on the one hand, I kind of get it because you have these things where you have people, you, you have the uh, primary in May, right? And you'll have a bunch of people just jump from one party to the other party just to vote in the primary to try and set up like an easier candidate for them for later. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, <clears throat> I mean, that's, you could say, a con of our system. I mean, you know, you can't tell people oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. freedom of voting and choice and then tell them you can't choose. It just nothing will ever be perfect, but that, I just, I was like looking at that going, give me a break. But I guess Tim Ryan's beating him right now. So, whatever. That's that really weird. I, it's odd to me, Tim Ryan and Sherrod Brown, how well they do in this state that is so red, <laughs> both neck and otherwise. Yes. You know? <clears throat> yeah. All right, we all ready? Uh, I got my notes up, yeah. Okay, well, good. Then we're all set. Uh, I'm not even sure what episode number this is. Season three something. (laughs) Episode four or five. Episode zero. Yeah, oh, and I even put season two on the link. Whatever. (laughs) We're doing his house. It's actually (laughs) season three. Uh, So let's talk about his house, which was... A Netflix movie that I have actually seen. I think it's the first one we've done that I've seen prior to us watching it. Really? Yeah. The first one out of all of them? Out of all of them. I think so. Yeah. We had um, 
talked about, I'm trying to think which movie it was that was a Netflix film. Oh, it was um, Hold the Dark. Yeah. And uh, you had mentioned it was like the first one that we had talked about. Um, and one of the big drawbacks to it from our point of view, you know, just people talking about it, is that you can't get accurate budgetary information on them. Right. Right. Um, his house was a U.S.-U.K. collaboration. It was done in 2016. Um, it debuted at Sundance um, at the end of 2020. Um, be, then it was bought by Netflix and released in October on the same year. So this did not have a theatrical release. Right. So you can't really see what the return is on it because there was no gate to take in. Right. Makes it a lot harder to get it like that. And Netflix doesn't release I mean, numbers and stuff. So no, no, they don't. And on the one hand, I can appreciate that because I can appreciate companies that aren't publicly owned. Right. Right. Um, where they don't have to release that stuff. Um, but still it'd be nice to, yeah, just for comparison's sake. Yeah. But even, you know, it's measuring apples and oranges, though. It'd be hard to do. So, yes, yes. But that's not even a huge uh, problem with a lot of what we watch because, you know, we we get low budget. We get direct to video. We get only streaming. So, you know, it's all. Yeah. First world problems. Yeah, man. I was up late worrying about this one. Um, it was nominated for 45 awards and it won five of them. Wow. Um, including a BAFTA um, for an outstanding debut, four awards from the British Independent Film Awards, um, Chicago Indie Critics Awards, and they won something at Sundance when it premiered. So the story was written by Felicity Evans and Tony Venerables. Um, they're married. They're, they're a couple. Um, she's written three total titles and he's written four. And it was converted, converted, converted. <laughs> it was converted to a screenplay by the director, Remy Weeks. This is his only full length film. Hmm. Um, he has two shorts on his resume and an episode of a TV miniseries called Fright Bites. Um, well, which I've came out like before. just the last year or two. So, you know, he may be getting something else working on something. Oh, I would imagine he is. Apparently the working title when it was being written was called the welcome and it was Felicity's idea. She developed the story um, based on a story that she reported on. She's a reporter for a magazine or, you know, webzine called the medium oh, um, in England. Oh. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Um, there was a rural house in Essex that was, quote, so beset by frightening and unexplained phenomena, it was impossible for the owner to continue living there. Um, so she started, uh, Felicity started to contemplate how a house that is so undesirable is only fit to house undesirables. Um, because in England... 
um, and Ireland, probably most island nations, you know, housing is a pro, you know, a super expensive issue. Right. And so here you have a house in Essex that was surrounded by other houses, you know, like up to half a million pounds, but no one could live in it because of hunting. Go figure. <laughs> um, so her mind jumped to refugees and the crappy situation they find themselves in in the film is reflective of the actual situation of refugees when they go to England based on her research into the processes and what happens to refugees when they land on the shores of Great Britain. Which I thought was interesting uh, because, you know, like it may not be exactly a true story, but it's based on truth and what happens. And that part was almost as disturbing as a horror movie itself. Uh, you know, yeah. when, you know, you're not used to that uh, and watching some of that. Right. So in, in some ways I was thinking, watching the movie, it's like, you know, which part is the horror and horrific stuff going on, you know, <laughs> and it could be argued that, yeah. you know, one way there. And that almost is the culture clash right there. Almost the, the horror sure. stuff as opposed to the real stuff that's horrible. Yeah. Um, they had originally wanted to do it as a 1970s period piece. Um, but another show called the Enfield Poltergeist had already basically kind of done something based in the seventies. So they decided to make it current. Um, it's been described as being trapped between the ghost bureaucracy and the war that they fled from. Yeah. The main characters in this story. And I originally it was supposed to be serious. Oh, sorry. I also noticed a lot no. of this season is questionable whether it's something happening to them or mental health, something in their head. Uh, it seemed like these culture clashes, a lot of them go around this theme also for whatever reason that just worked out that way for us. So I'm sure we could find 10 that have absolutely nothing to do with mental health, but it, it just was one of those. I'm like, man, again, questionable what's real, what's Memorex. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, thinking ahead, we'll be shifting gears in the next one. So, Oh, okay. But you already um, have notes not for as much your, ambiguity. Your work ahead life. You. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, originally it was supposed to be Syrian Muslim refugees, but when Remy came aboard, uh, he wanted to make the character Sudanese. Um, and the Sudanese civil war refugees really resonated with him. Um, and just in case, you know, for those of you who are vaguely interested at all in Sudan, you had, um, civil uprising against the, uh, governing body and a civil war broke out, but amidst the civil war, you had tribal conflicts that were rising between different tribes in Sudan. And there were claims of genocide occurring where, Entire tribes and villages were just being indiscriminately wiped out. So that's the situation the characters are fleeing from. I also find it interesting that we had the earlier movie, The Mouse, with the Serbian-Croatian conflict, how you can – that they, they choose horrific things happening in the world in real life to put a horror story in the middle of. And then you start questioning, yeah. which is really horrific or what – adds to the horror you know i mean there's a lot of depth to a story like that 
Yeah, and I think the really cool thing about it using this genre is that it, you and I are now having a conversation about the Sudanese Civil War, right? Right. It's not something that we would have typically sat down and talked about, or, you know, the whole Croatian-Serbian War. That's not something we typically would have sat down and talked about. Or, or even really known much about, you know, what what really gets yeah. reported on these things, even with the, our world in that. We heard about the Ukraine uh, and Russia conflict, but it, it, it's kind of like, you know, still – uh, who's deeming what's important to talk about, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. Which is a whole nother um, podcast discussion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are, I, for the cast, I only went over a couple people. Um, so there's not a whole lot of people in the film, actually, when you think about it. Right. Uh, and I'm going to, I apologize now. I'm going to slaughter these names. Um, <laughs> Soapy Dirisu plays Ball, the main male character in the film. Uh, he's been in 34 different projects dating back to 2012, but the only titles you'll actually know him from was he was in, he's in Gangs of London and he was in an episode of Black Mirror. Um, oh, and again, wow. this is not uncommon for us with foreign films. Um, and, and where is he from? Where the cast is from stuff. Couldn't tell you. Um, yeah, I could try though. Hey, hey, real quick, you're really breaking up. Is the proxy on or something? It's Am I not breaking up to you because you I, paused I, a couple times. I don't know. I've gotten a little bit of a pause from it, you on occasion. It, it might be me, but in we'll general, we'll do the best we can. Well, there you go. Uh, like. Safari as a browser, which I'm not using right now, um, but Safari as a browser was running so crappily, I just had to shut it down. So it might be my Wi-Fi. Got it. Okay, well, but, we'll just uh, keep going and do what we can. I, I only yeah. asked where he's from because I didn't think he was actually Sudanese, um, but his name, his accent, uh, you know, I didn't think he was English either. Right. Um, well, and his uh, his co-star, Wunmi Musaku, plays Rial. And uh, I've seen before. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you have. Now, like Soapy, he's not been in a whole lot. I mean, he's been in thirty-four different projects, but like you go to his bio under IMDb. And there's just, you know, this is who he is. It's not filled out like a lot of more accomplished actors who've been in a lot of stuff. It's like they were born here this day. They don't have any of that stuff under him. Um, huh. I'll check Wunmi here in a second as soon as this is done loading up. Wunmi Masaku plays Rial. She plays his wife. She's been in 56 projects dating back to 2006. And you'll know some of these. Um, she was in, and I didn't even know this was a thing, Law and Order UK. Because there's oh, not really? enough Law and Order episodes as it is. Yeah. Ah, so uh, she was born in Nigeria. She's Nigerian. Right. Sorry, old joke. <laughs> uh, so she's a, 
She's a Nigerian actress. Um, she was also in Batman v Superman. Um, an episode of Black Mirror. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The End of the Fucking World. Macbeth. Lovecraft Country. Um, yes, she was very in Loki. Show. Yeah. Yep. She was a guard. Um, she, she had voiceover in Horizon Zero Dawn. And a ton of other stuff you haven't seen. <laughs> um, let me see if I get this next name right. Uh, Matt Smith. <laughs> well, you know, the doctor has to be in England, so. <laughs> he plays Mark S. Worth. He's been in 49 projects, including Masterpiece Classic, uh, Secret Diary of a Call Girl. Everyone knows him as Doctor Who. Uh, he's been in the Sarah Jane Adventures, Pond Life, Terminator Genesis, Pride and Prejudice Zombies, The Crown, and in the latest movie, Morbius, that massive hit. Uh, the witch in this film is played by two different actors. He is a voice actor named Cornell John, who's done 46 uh, projects, including voiceover work for Fable. Um, he was in Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, Jack the Giant Slayer, EastEnders, Captain America Civil War, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and also in The Gangs of London. But the actor who plays the witch is none other than your friend and mine, Javier Botet, who has 111 credits, also known as Mama. So if you want me to want to hear all the stuff that Javier has been in, go back and listen to that episode. Because I'm not going to list it all. Uh, amazing guy. Right. The, char- the characters in this movie are members of the Dinka tribe in southern Sudan. And um, so the vast majority of the movie is in English, but there are some times when they speak in Dinka to each other or it'll be in the village. Sometimes it's subtitled. Sometimes it's not, depending on what the director is trying to kind of communicate there. Yeah. And once again, we get a movie that uses the not understanding the language to help set the mood. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things for me about this movie is how it depicts two different views on, well, it depicts way more than two, but it depicts the two different views of the refugees. Because you have Ball, who is here and is ready to be here and just wants to be part of society. And then you have Rial, who is at times looking back and wanting to her old life in Sudan back pre-war. Which there's reasons for that, not just moving away from home, which I I made some notes on we could talk about when we hit that spot. Yeah. Yeah. The movie starts with a man carrying a child holding a doll across the desert in Sudan. Um, Then the pair and a woman are getting into the back of a truck. And this is the introduction to Rial. Um, the woman, Ball, the man, and Nygak, the girl. 
Rial leans down and tells Nygak and Dinka that she will protect her. And there's a cut from this harsh, bright desert shot to a very dark scene on a boat. The boat's overfilled with passengers crossing the water. There's a bang from the engine direction, and suddenly there's people in the water. And Nygak is crying out for her mother. And then suddenly there's a shot of Ball lying in bed. The whole thing was a dream. Yeah. Nice quick introduction, though. Yep. Remember, remember um, all and of it, that. You know, it comes it, back. <laughs> yes. He, does, he doesn't linger on the storytelling. Like a lot of the movies um, we've watched, that opening sequence tells a lot about the whole movie, but you don't realize it. And it's not as lingering and long as a lot of, quote unquote, big blockbuster movies either. So another thing to set the mood for horror movies. Yeah, and they they do a lot of getting the information across, but there's still like this awesome twist that you don't see coming until it hits, which right. I think is very well done. Um, so this was a dream. Rial is sitting next to him and asking him in English what he was dreaming about, and he says, "Our wedding day," and she says, "Well, that explains the screams because apparently he was screaming in his sleep." Um. The camera pans back, and we find that the pair are in a small room. He's lying on a cot. There's a second cot in there with some other guy lying on there. The door opens, and this guy just comes in really briskly. And he's like, you're wanted in the gym. And just, boom, he's gone. Just there and out. The couple get dressed, and as the other man sits up and says, don't get your hopes up. And then he says, they will send you back to die like the bastards always do. They leave the room and they're screaming and cursing and fighting as they're walking down the hall. It's obviously an overcrowded, not overly pleasant place to be. Yeah. And and that guy that's yelling and screaming, they never really explain it, but considering it came right after they were told they're going to send you back, I would guess that guy was just told he's going back. And it, it really yeah. set the mood for, you know, these are the consequences with the stakes are raised. Yeah. Um, they find themselves sitting in the gymnasium in chairs about a million miles away from a group of officials with stacks of papers. Yeah. Nothing it's a very nice way to show the isolation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, um, and the woman and you notice whispered, Ball has as a, that JC Penny fake smile plastered on his face, uh, trying to give that. Yes. Imitate the, what he thinks people, you know, would like, you know, exactly again we get a really good director that has these subtle little things that aren't focused and pointed out but they all add up to you know what he's trying to say uh the more we do of these the more of those types of things i seem to be seeing and picking up i'm elevating myself (laughs) there you go we'll say that teach a man to fish yeah A woman whispers to the man next to her, uh, asking about a child, and he informs her that they lost her last year. And one of the men informs him that they're being released from detention that day. Ball is so happy, he starts to laugh. Um, The man then tells them that they're on probation, and they have a set of rules they have to follow. If they mess up once, they'll be sent back to detention with the possibility of being sent back to the Sudan. Which does not. Um, and the. Ru- no, no. 
the first rule is they have to come in and report personally weekly. Uh, second, they're given 74 pounds a week, and they're not allowed to work or supplement their money by any means. Um, third, they will be sent ho- they will be sent to a home that they have to live in. Roll, uh, Real tries to point out that they're good people, or Bull tries to point out they're good people. The guy doesn't care. Right. He doesn't care that you're good people. He's just check. You've been told. Nod your head. Let me know that you heard what I said and you understand it and get out. Right. It's so. Personal. So they leave the detention center in the. Oh yeah. They leave the center in the dark, in the rain. They're on a bus. The driver won't even acknowledge that they're on there. He doesn't even... They try and have talked to him. The guy just completely ignores them. They drive through the night, and as they knew, near their new home, the sun rises on their new lives. They're holding hands. You see how much they matter to each other. They care about each other. Then the screen cuts to black, and the title screen comes up. No, no producer, no director, no actor. We're not wasting any of your time with that in this film at the start. They'll put all that stuff at the end because they have to, but they're not going to sit there and tell you whose production this is. Right. Right. Um, So he's giving you everything. Weeks is giving you everything you need to know for the rest of the movie in like the next, in the first five minutes. And it wasn't just like some dry data dump. It was like a story. There was like emotion involved. and Yeah, very much so. So the bus stops next to a, mo- a maze of row houses and the driver just unceremoniously tosses their belongings on the ground and drives off. Then over by a pile of trash outside one house is Mark who asks if they speak English. He acts like they're moving into the greatest house ever. Yeah. Um, and it would be typically smaller with twice as many refugees living in it, but this is all just for them. And he seems to have a little trouble opening the door because it seems to be sticking in its frame. If he pulled out his screwdriver, he'd be able to fix all that up, but whatever. That's right. Yeah. No, the doctor would not be nearly the prick this guy. I, this guy's not bad. No, he's not. He but. he's he's Im- pretty ambivalent. You know, I've done this before. You're not the first people. I do wish you luck, but what's the point? Because I've got seventy more right behind you. I've got to do the same thing over and over. It, you know, this is. I, I'm so dead to this happening. I just can't muster any enthusiasm anymore. That's what I got from him. That's a really good point because I. I, I was always, I was always trying to put my finger on it because he's not a bad guy, right? But he's certainly not overly supportive. But like you said, it he does seem like a guy who's given up. Yeah, I've seen so many times that this has happened, and I've been I've been emotionally involved before, and then just been disappointed. Right. So I'm not even really going to. Yeah. No point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Once I get inside, the electric's not on. He runs through a list of rules for the house. It's extensive. There's flies buzzing around. Some kind of fights going on outside. Yeah. Um, Real wants to confirm with Mark that the whole house is for them. And he like picks up on that. And he's like, yeah. Um, Cause before he seemed kind of embarrassed by the whole place. Right. You know, it was kind of almost apologetic, but as soon as Real's like, this is all for us. He's like, 
yeah, yeah, it is all for you. And right. it didn't seem nearly as. And there's part of that culture um, clash coming in because he's used to something and to him, this is a dump, but they're used to something way worse than to them. It may not be the greatest, but this is an improvement in their lives. Except I got yeah. a question. They're not allowed to play board games. What the heck is that? Is that subversive? Like they're going to take over the country because they're playing risk. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> monopoly, they're not allowed to supplement their income. Well, that's true. You know, no fake money going on there. Better not be strip poker. At that's night. right. He <laughs> basically tells them he thinks they'll do well. Just keep your head down. You know, that kind of advice, stay in your lane. You'll be fine. Ball says they're not going back. Mark replies that's a good attitude, and they should strive to be, and here you go, strive to be one of the good ones, which is, um, yeah, that's just a little too classist for me. A little condescending. But, yeah. Uh, then Mark's gone, and Ball heads upstairs. Looking out a window, he sits on the bed and laughs and cries, and he's overcome with the emotion of, like, actually having made it here he is he's actually in england no one's trying to kill him now i'm gonna point out at this point the wife isn't against any of this doesn't seem to be maybe not super happy but she's this is where they wanted to be this is where they tried to get to and that's important because of how her character arc is throughout the story uh and what changes to come uh, he's he's extremely more emotional than she is, yes, but they're both willing to do what they need to do and fight to, for this new life. Yep, for sure. Um, we cut to Rial on the bed alone. Uh, she's having a little different kind of emotional time. She's looking at Nygax's doll, and she takes the beads from the bottom of it and fashions them into a necklace of sorts. Um, then there's a cut to a shot of them sitting together on the floor of their new home. And ball says they will be new here. And real confirms that they will be born again. They are new people, English people. Yeah. Um, it's dark outside now and ball gets up from the floor. He's picking up what looks like a sleeping bag and he hears people outside. All of a sudden, um, there's a girl inside with him. And he looks, and there's no one there. But the sounds also sort of meld together to form screams and cries like that of the people on the boat from earlier. And he has to cover his ears. Once so the he, sound goes away... He he seems like he has PTSD going on. So this yeah, is where you start yeah, yeah, that's, that what's real, what's in his head thing, which keeps coming back more and more. Right. Um. Once the sound goes away, he hears the girl's voice again and puts his ear to the wall, since that seems to be where it's coming from. Then something hits the wall that makes him recoil. He follows these scuttling sounds and ends up on the floor next to an open air vent. When he kneels to investigate it, there's a figure behind him wheezing on the floor. And he turns and it's gone. And then he turns back and a bird flies out of the wall. He says, strange country. <laughs> Now, Steve points out that this could all be in his head. Right. Which is a possibility. However, um, eventually, 
Real's going to be seeing this stuff too. Right. And now it becomes the mass hallucination situation, or is there actually something to it? Um, we cut to the next day, and Rial finds Bull working on the door. Amidst a box of belongings, she picks up Nygak's doll. Um, then they're upstairs watching an older woman walking around outside. They joke about how she's their, how she's the queen. Bull takes takes the trash out and tries to wave to his neighbor, but she basically ignores him. Okay, so here's the question. They've been there one night. They have no money, no they can't really do anything. Yet he's got two bags of trash already. What are they doing? <laughs> I, I was wondering where those two bags of trash came from. Where'd the trash bags come from? Well, I'm hoping the trash bags were in there because while they were touring the house to start with, there was like a pizza yeah, yeah. sitting on the table that'd been there forever. Right. <laughs> um he takes the, uh, he puts his coat on and he walks off and he heads to a barber's and gets his hair cut. Um, when he asks where they are, the barber says High Street. And Ball tries to clarify by saying in London. And the barber says, yeah, why not? Turns out this was all shot in Essex. So uh, whether or not it was supposed to be London or not, who knows? <laughs> but the whole thing was shot in Essex. As he leaves, he passes a church where there's this guy who whistles at him and asks if he's one of them refugees. Um, and at first, thought, I'm like, oh, you know, there's going to be some problem here. Right. And here, the guy just has a box of, you know, welcome to refugees, like church aid for him. Which, again, so is, he takes is that whole, here's a guy that is with the church. They want to help it. But his whole attitude is, okay, whatever. Yeah, I really don't care about yeah. you, but I'm told to give you this type thing. You know, it, it's that yeah. a, a, a condescension feeling again. The intention's there, but the heart is not. Exactly. This is just my job. I'm just doing it. Yeah. He takes the box to a pub. At, and so he's sitting in this pub. They're watching a football game, soccer game. Sorry, American viewers. <laughs> um, and he's flipping through the box. And they're singing, you know, they're doing like your typical British thing. They're singing some song, making fun of some guy on the screen. And he starts singing along and, you know, the other people like glance at him. They don't really seem to give him much of a second thought, but he is overjoyed to be part of this group. Yes, he's trying. He, he, he's doing what he can to try and fit, be one of the good ones. And I'm going to point out that yes. the song they're singing is essentially the very same song that the vision sings to the Joker in a knight's tale. <laughs> That's the same one that the, the, they, they sing the same tune uh, about uh, uh, what's his face, his character in the knight's tale. I just picked it up this time watching it. <laughs> you, you could actually pick a tune out of there, huh? Yeah. I remembered it. <laughs> they weren't necessarily the best musicians. Well, no. Yeah. And the singing was uh, not exactly up to par with my singing, but it wasn't bad. You know, that's true. <laughs> uh, when he gets home, his wife is kind of humorously poking fun at the song. She says, maybe she'll go out tomorrow. And he encourages her to go on out. Um, they're trying to sleep and there's noises outside that keep bowl up. Then he hears what sounds like footsteps coming up the stairs. He gets up to investigate, goes downstairs to find a light on, and he can't turn it off. Then a strip of wallpaper just peels off the wall to reveal black mold and a massive hole in the wall. 
Ball finds a sleeve of wire hanging down and starts to pull it out, and as he does, the lights go out. Then the wire turns into rope. Wet rope. With out of focus behind him. Yeah, out of focus behind him, we can see a tall figure approaching. And at the end of the rope is Nygak's doll. He's holding it, wondering what's going on, and then a hand reaches out from the hole in the wall, snatches it back from him, and disappears. He turns and looks behind him, and the tall figure is gone. And when he looks back at the wall, the wallpaper is back in place. And we'll point out with this, like many of the other movies we've watched the other two and a half seasons, it's a lower budget movie, and they don't do a lot of digital effects. There's a lot of practical effects in here, which I think makes them yep. more disturbing and even scarier. But they're, they try and limit what they're doing. You know, it, it's not the the big blockbuster horror movies with all these special effects and things going on, which I think we're almost immune to that aren't scary. So when this guy is, you know, changing his life and he's seeing these visions and they're, I mean, it's not over the top, you know, what he's, what's happening at this yeah. point. It, it It's not so much horror as disturbing. And it just sits with you. Like you ate something bad, right. you know, it's subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rial gets up the next day to find that he stripped all the wallpaper off in that room, leaving her to clean up the mess. He's nowhere to be found. <laughs> um, she starts to sweep it up and heads to a closet to get more cleaning supplies. But when she opens the door, she instead sees the caged in back of a Toyota pickup truck with refugee children in it. So now we see it's not just Bull who's having flashbacks. She is as well. And hers seem much more vivid as a memory flashback, his seemed like a, a, um, a scary dream based on reality. Auditory. Alice in Wonderland mixed up type of visions and stuff. Hers are, uh, yeah. And hers are brighter. You know, I noticed that too. His always happened. Like when it's dark, hers happen when there's sunshine, uh, you know, and honestly, I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. It just seemed to stick out. Well, I think, if you look at it, um, she is here and she is mourning the loss of the child that she met in the deserts of Sudan. He is struggling with the guilt of what happened in the dark in the ocean. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, good good explanation. Um, turns out Bull was going to the store. He's buying construction supplies, including a brand new hammer. Um, Real decides she's going to the doctor's office. She's entirely intimidated by the new world as she nervously locks the door and checks Mark's map. Um, she's walking down the street. Some young guy comes up saying hello, and she just ignores him until he goes away. She glances back over her shoulder just to make sure that he's left. Um, and we get this great thing where we see how claustrophobic and similar everything is as she's walking along. Yeah. She quickly finds herself lost. And the movie does this really well. On her outing, while she's walking through the streets, she is constantly coming across unsupervised kids. Every person she interacts with on the street is under the age of 18. She finds a trio of teenagers. Um, they're all... Well, they're not African-American because they're British, but... Um, so. <laughs> She I feels think, more I think comfortable. Those were some talk. Of the extras from Attack the Block, 
they, they couldn't make it in that one. Yeah. So they <laughs> yeah. Um, she feels more comfortable talking to them as opposed to the first guy who came up behind her. He was white. So she, uh, start tries addressing them in Dinka and they start making fun of her, of the way she talks. Then they can't seem to agree on how to get where she's going, but eventually they do. I, I totally took that scene. Not that they didn't agree, but that they were purposefully making fun of her and making her feel bad and stuff that they, they were joking with her, telling her all these different directions, knowing that they were lying to her. So at first I thought that too. Okay. Um, she says, thanks in Dinka. And then they start to make fun of her and tell her to go back to Africa. But the reason I think they were actually debating it is one kids don't ever call anything by its own name. Right. It's always, Hey, you know, that place over there by that pink house, you know, it's not what that street is. And then two, they actually give her real directions. Okay. Because she does end up where she needs to go. That's true. That's true. If they were just being complete pricks, they would have just made something up. Yeah, true. Okay. This is a really good movie to watch after you've seen Attack the Block. Because on the one hand, you can look at all these kids running around being jerks and be like, wow, what complete jerks. Or you can look back on Attack the Block and be like, no, that's just them existing in their world. Yeah. You know? Yeah, very much. And these kids obviously go to some school because they're wearing a school uniform. Uh, you know, they, they're school uniforms are very big in England. Even if you're not in the school, really. <laughs> I assume they're out smoking on the lunch break or something. Uh, well, because you'd never get American kids voluntarily wearing a school uniform. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, we find her at the doctor's office now, so their directions weren't bad. She's getting her blood pressure taken. The doctor seems nice and asks about her necklace. She informs her it was an IGAX, and the doctor says if she's your daughter, she should come in and take a look at her too. She then um, begins to ask Rial about her decorative scarring, and she tells the doctor how she gave herself one set of scars because the scars mark your tribe. And if you have the wrong scars or the you're not the right scars, you will be killed by members of the other tribes. And, she points out that she's survived by belonging nowhere. Yeah. And this, I mean, it's a good scene. It really tells a lot about Rial. But this doctor is really the first person that seems to genu genuinely care and treat her like any other person and is interested. And there's... Uh, you know, a different side of the culture clash. Someone that has no idea this person across from them, what they've gone through, but is interested. But then she lays it on really thick about her life. And the doctor is like kind of shell-shocked by that. Just can't comprehend yeah. this life at all. So it's, it's just yeah. another face of the culture clash that we've had this whole season showing the two different sides. Right. Um, and her pointing out that she survived by belonging nowhere is kind of like Rial's whole theme throughout this whole movie. Yeah. She's not a member of one tribe or the other. She's now not Sudanese. She's not British. She's a person without any kind of roots. Yeah, true. Um, and in this scene, 
the scene ends. She tells the doctor, and this is like the first actual confirmation, solid confirmation, that they lost Nagak while they were crossing the sea. I mean, we know that. We kind of took that for granted. But this concretes it for us. Right. Uh, she gets home to find some girl walking back from school just peeing in her backyard, which is nice. Yeah. Um, she... <laughs> heads back into the cleared room and sits on the floor and hears a voice. And it says, come as fruit spills out from the kitchen and one apple rolls across the floor to the hole. The voices continue to murmur and she looks at the hole concerned, not like terrified, but she's concerned. When Bull comes home later that night, Rial has prepared a traditional dink of food and has it laid out on the floor with a candle like they would be eating it in Sudan. And she's eating it traditionally with her, with her hands. He gives her silverware. He's all about integrating. And she is seeking comfort from her traumatic day by turning back to old traditions. Right. So they have their own culture clash going on between the two of them right now. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, he's optimistic about the future, mentions starting a family. And she tells this story. And in this story, you have an honorable poor man who's looking for a home. Then he starts to steal from other people to get to the point that he can buy a home. And he accidentally steals from an apeth, which is apparently Sudanese for a night witch. Once the house was built, the apeth lived in the house as well. And the apeth would whisper from the walls and the dead would come. She claims that an apeth has arisen from the ocean and followed them there. She mentions that it spoke to her and something in the background falls, making a noise. Instead of blowing her off, which I love about this movie, Ball isn't like you're crazy. He says, uh, he asks what it said. And she said, we don't belong here. If they leave and repay their debt, it would guide them back to Nygak. Ball reminds her that Nygak's gone and the conversation degenerates into shouting match from Ball's point of view. He says that Apeth don't exist, even as something in the background breaks. She's not intimidated by it, and she calls him a liar. And I think that's kind of a really interesting thing where Rial is not scared of the monster in this movie. It right. doesn't scare her at all. In fact, it kind of gives her hope. She interprets it a little Ball, on the other hand, Ball. is. Yes. Yeah. She sees it as another chance. Right. And Later that night, Ball start, is still pulling start, down. Sorry, sorry. Uh, we start uh, getting the sense that there's some guilt there. Uh, and it seems like, you know, they feel guilty about leaving their country. But considering the circumstances, it, it's not that. And definitely that they feel guilty about Nayak and losing her. But there's more to it that we're about to get to. But this is where the, the guilt starts showing on both of them. And they're dealing with it in two yes. completely different ways, uh, which then leads yep. again to, are they really seeing what's going on with this witch in the house? Is it really there or is it all just in their head? And considering their shared experience, their shared thing that, you know, he's talking about it. So now it's in her head you know, you could argue that at this point. Yeah. Um, 
Later that night, Bull's still pulling down wallpaper. He hears something moving behind him, and then he hears a female voice, the same one he had heard some days ago. It ends up being joined by a male voice, and we see something through the doorway moving. There's a noise in the kitchen sink. Someone runs past the door. He shines a flashlight, and we see a childlike figure sitting on the floor. It has a knife, and it's stabbing it into the ground and is asking, Mama? Then it stabs at him, and he scurries away. As it moves across the room, it begins to grow taller, and it basically just drives him out of the house into the backyard. Yeah. His neighbor catches him out there, and he kind of nervously smiles and waves. Again, she ignores him. Um, he does pluck up the courage to go back in. And um, Rial is on the steps and tells him that he saw it. He opens the closet and finds Nygax's doll. He starts to grab stuff, saying they've been marked and they must destroy everything. And he takes it all into their little backyard and burns the doll, Rial's necklace, some of his clothes, all of this much to Rial's dismay. Yeah, must he, purge he, it with fire. Again, he's trying to get rid of the past and ignore it. And she's yep. trying to trying to go back to it. Yeah. Go back to it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the next day he goes to the store. Um, it's a really nice, subtle thing. They do store security instantly starts keeping an eye on him. Yes. I thought it was going to be an issue, but it's not, it's just his way of pointing out that this kind of crap happens to these people all the time. Yeah. And it's subtle in the um, background, which makes it much more realistic. Yep. And yeah. And, and we've seen yep. scenes, you know, there's uh, say buy some has replace. a scene like this where the security guard gets in his face, confronts him and stuff. We don't need a scene like that again. We know it. Seeing that guy in the background, right. put his coffee down and just stand up to follow him. You know, what's there. And it, it again, yeah. The subtleness of it makes it more powerful. Yeah, you don't have to actually be confronted by the guy to still be being profiled by him. Yes. <laughs> uh, he returns to the living room. He's actively removing wall panels now, down to the studs. As he does, uh, something cuts his hand. He's bleeding on the floor. He's roaming the house, checking lights, and catches Rial whispering to someone who is not there saying stuff like, perhaps if you spoke to him. <laughs> um, while they're eating, he's pushing her to get involved in the community. She asks if he wants to know what it says. She then points out she's not afraid of ghosts. They can't scare her. And she says it told her she can get Nygak back and that she should be afraid of Ball. The camera then zooms in on Ball as he eats and it pans back. And we find he's alone at the table and the table's floating in the middle of the sea. This was such a nice little surreal. Yeah. Scene. It was probably the most surreal and almost most disturbing scene because it, it, it a lot of hers are like, she traveled into this memory. A lot of his are just little parts of things in the house, but this one was not, like a non-existent memory not in the house, partly in the house. And yeah, it was it, speaking yeah. of Alice in Wonderland. This was, that, you know, the Alice in Wonderland scene. Yeah. Rial travels into her memories and Ball's memories travel into his house. <laughs> yes. That's a great way of putting it. 
When he looks up, he notices that he's on the sea, and he sees figures moving through the mists all around him. Looking down, he feels a hand on his knee. It belongs to some disfigured person, and he falls in the water, and there's figures rising all around him now. And then he wakes with a start on the floor of his living room. You might be like, oh, it was a nightmare. But then there's a figure in the shadows in the corner opposite him. So the nightmare's not over, apparently. Right. He turns on the light and the figure disappears. Wet footprints appear on the floor and a voice says, help me. They approach and he turns the light off to see a figure standing next to him. He turns the light back on and the voice and other voices are added to it, reminding him of what was said by the people who drowned. All these whispers go away and he hears clearly Nygak's voice in the other room asking, Mama? There's more whispered voices get added and he walks to see what's up. As he gets up, the light goes out and there's a ghost in front of him. And when he turns to head back to the light switch, another stands right in front of him. But the light comes on anyway. Over by the switch is the disfigured ghost of Nygak. But she's not really disfigured. She's wearing a mask. Right. And again tribal communities masks are like a very important thing and it actually does a very good job of making her unsettling looking yes the mask itself you can tell it's a mask but just the mask that she's wearing is a very unsettling piece yes her hands on the light switch he calls her name and she turns the light off and he's covered with ghosts Some of them have knives. They all want to kill him. He manages to hit the switch behind him, and they all disappear except for one behind the walls. It's Nygak. She's scurrying around the walls on this hole, and he starts on this hole. This is my house. and takes a hammer to the walls. Then we cut to a scene of him sitting in front of Mark the next day. He's asking him if they can move, and Mark says he can look into it, but he needs to know why. Ball claims there's vermin. There's something obviously off with Ball. Mark can see it. The other guys in the office kind of resentfully point out that Ball's house is bigger than theirs. Right. Mark then points out that it'll raise a lot of questions. And Mark says, finding yourself somewhere you didn't plan on being is life seeing what kind of man you are. He says they can find him a new house right after the inquiry because Ball's in a poor state. He points out that people are going to ask why he's biting the hand that feeds him and basically gets him to say that it's not about rats. Ball tries to explain, Uh but during the conversation, Ball's upset enough. He crushes the glass that he's holding and basically runs from the office. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Ball was in front of uh, the doctor talking. uh, (laughs) Matt Smith was telling him about the, we got you know, inquiry. Yeah. And ball gets so upset. He crushes the glass drinking glass. He's holding and he just runs from the office. Um, we go back to the house and react. And yeah, go ahead. We were talking how Mark seemed ambivalent, didn't really care much about him. Now I, I got the feeling here that he still really doesn't care, but it's almost like at this point he's, weeding out the bad ones opposed to the good ones. And now that bulls there, he's become a bad one. So, well, Hey, or, or he was like kind of giving him that wink, wink, nudge, nudge hint. Look, man, 
you can do this, right? Because we got to go through all this crap. If not, and you're not going to make it. Are you sure that's what really happened? You know, there's a little bit of both of those feelings in this scene. Yeah. Um, Back at home, Real sitting on the couch in her living room. Nagat calls to her from the walls and she returns her the necklace, which Ball recently burnt in the backyard. When Ball gets home, his neighbor asks him, why don't you just leave? They're going to kick you out anyway. I give it a week. Um, Mark shows up. He's followed him home and they sit in his living room and he says he's going to have to report him now. Ball insists they aren't going back and reminds him that they're the good ones. Just as Mark's about to let him off with a warning, Rial comes in, ingeniously dressed as authentically dink as she can, and asks if he's told them about the witch. She's just flat out (laughs) honest. She's like, yeah, no, there's a witch here. Um, Put that in your report. Um, As they're leaving, (laughs) Mark outside is like, I got to write this up. Rial says they want this. It makes them feel big. She accuses him of idolizing them. And then she continues to berate him and says, let them send us back. She says she's leaving with or without him. Then she accuses him of forgetting about Nygak and he physically covers her mouth. She now all of a sudden looks kind of concerned. um, And he tells her that she's sick and this is their home. And he basically barricades the house so she can't get out. Nailing doors yeah. and windows shut. <laughs> he's trying to, he's trying to live there, and he like knocks the window uh, things off to open them, and you know it's like, wow, now you really can't get out. Yeah, and you made the house a little bit worse. Yeah. So he sits in the living room, lights a candle, and tells the spirit that this time they talk to him, and the room gets immediately dark as he's sitting there, but it's from the passage of time, and he starts to drift off. He's awakened by creaking ghostly sounds and open his eyes to see the candle flame flare up. The Apeth is accusing him of being a thief who stole his life. The Apeth wants him to kill himself in exchange for Nygak's life. Bull asks why it doesn't just kill him itself, and it backs up. Then he puts his hand in the flames and realizes it can't hurt him. And he's like, you can't hurt me. And he's getting all cocky. And then it asks, why don't you go to sleep? And he realizes that's a problem because he's got to sleep sometime. Yeah. He then finds himself standing in the sea, looking at Nygak as he tries to turn away. Hands force him to look on as she opens her mouth. And I guess an octopus crawls out. Something with a lot of tentacles. (laughs) Maybe it's from Lovecraft country. There you go. Back in the real world, Rial's looking at him, and he's sitting in the living room just staring ahead at nothing. He's peed his pants. She takes this chance to try to get the front door open, but he comes to and drags her away. She stabs him in the leg with a screwdriver, locks him in the kitchen, manages to get a window open, and as she climbs out, she finds herself back in her village in Sudan, to the delight of all of her Dinka friends. She goes into a classroom and the staff all embrace her with joyous hugs and uvulations as the children sing. Then they all stop and look at her. She says she knows what they are. She then asks where she is. She then asks where she is. Where is she? And they say who? And she says her daughter. And again, they say who? We're just about to that big point in the story where you know, there's this big reveal. So, Right. 
A cut reveals Bull walking around whispering her name. She's hidden in a cabinet in the classroom, and he finds her. We hear machine gun fire in the distance. Now we realize this isn't just a hallucination. This is backstory. Um, He embraces her and tells her they have to leave. As the camera pans backwards, we see the classroom is full of the bodies of all of her friends. Um, As refugees are attempting to escape, being shot down in the street, they're lying silently on a roof. Traveling at night, they arrive to a town where people are thronging to get on a bus that will take them out of the area. They hear the bus is full. And And you notice their, their whole, what they have to go through is no different than everything we see in a zombie apocalypse yeah. movie. They're on the roof to avoid the wanderings on the street. They're walking at night and staying away from people. I mean, you know, really their, their war torn life is no different than a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah, that really, you know, comes out the way he filmed this to me, yeah. uh, what they're doing, you know, on the roof and all that. Um, they hear the bus is full. Bull is saying they just need to fit two more. And then he notices um, this mother and child being let on board. So he just grabs a kid, just grabs a kid. And the lady on the bus lets him and Rial and their child, who is Nagak, onto the bus. As the bus is pulling away, Nagak's looking out the window, calling for her mother, and her mother's outside chasing after the bus. So now we see why so, Bull might have some guilt. Yeah, though everything going on is stemming from the guilt of what they did to get there. But he's still in character from this movie. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get out of that country yep. and to start a new life. And he's willing to suppress the guilt and the actions that he had to do to get there. And she is even more overwrought with guilt and kind of wants to go back to what she now considers a better life before the guilt. Um, And so again, now it brings up everything happening. Is it real or is it caused because of their guilt or is it just things in their head? You know, I, I mean, you go with the, uh, these spirits exist, the witch exists, the bad juju follows them, that it was caused because of their guilt. And all these things are really happening to them. It totally, uh, you know, this is one of those things where this movie could be looked at different ways, but there's, you know, that seems like the most plausible now that we know what they did to make get make yeah. all this happen. Yeah. And does that make them any better in their own country than these white English guys putting them on probation to live in their country. You know, you get this culture thing that we looked at the, these people in England as, oh, they're kind of crap people because of the way they're treating the refugees. But what did the refugees do to their own people to get to where they're at, to quote unquote, improve their life? Uh, There's a lot of philosophical discussions on this. (laughs) I think kidnapping a child for your own ends is just never an acceptable thing in any culture. Yeah, but arguably too, uh, if nothing would have happened on the crossing, she would have. She would have survived. Maybe been going to a yep. better life. Yep. You know, so would that have been as bad? Well, we'll leave this kid here to deal with the war-torn country and get shot and raped and everything else, or we'll kidnap her and take her with us and she'll have a better life, just not with her mother. Which is better? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's tough. Um, We cut back to the classroom as her friends tell her she has no daughter. Then it cuts back to them being loaded into trucks and Riel tells Nigak she'll protect her 
And it keeps cutting back and forth from the classroom to the journey. And we see Nagak drowning as they try and get onto a rescue vehicle. As she's coming to this realization, the Apeth voice comes back. And he says he can bring her back. One of her friends slides a knife back over to her and says she needs to sever his flesh. So she needs to take this knife and cut Bull. <clears throat> Bull has gone out in the rain where she's passed out and carried her back in. So she's sitting at the table while he's at the sink. There's a knife on the counter. He sits next to her. Nagak's voice whispers to her as she's contemplating stabbing him. She heads into the kitchen and turns on the sink. And when she turns around, the knife is gone. And Bull has cut himself, saying this is what it wants. And he wants to save her. He says he should have tried harder to save her and that he sees them, all of them, all the people who drowned. She kisses his forehead and he says she needs to go because it's coming. And then there's this kind of spooky breaking apart thing of the house, right? Everything's starting to crack and rumble. Yeah. And the apath climbs out of a hole in the floor. It climbs astride him and reaches into the open wound on his arm forcing itself under his skin in probably one of the more disturbing visual effects that I've seen, you know, horror movie wise, it's kind of nasty looking at it like that. Yeah. We've had some good ones on yeah. the movies we've watched. Yeah. You know, real standing in the other room. She's not sure what to do. And Nagak comes up and takes her hand. And there's this kind of peaceful scene as real comes to grip with Nagak's loss. The apeth is continuing to absorb Ball, but she comes up behind it and slits its throat. So here we have both. So she's she's made a made a choice. Yes, we have both characters showing all of their growth right here in this scene. He comes to grips with the horrible things he's done yeah. and tries to make penance for it. She comes to grips with the fact that her daughter will never actually come back, and then decides to save the one thing she right. has. So now we cut to the denouement. Social services are knocking at the door. Real opens it, and the people are very polite at the door, which is really sad because they're basically there just to declare these people unfit and send them back to Sudan. The pair walk about taking photos. Um, and they have actually, the two of them had done some sprucing up. Like, the wall panels are up. There's, there's putty in the, in the holes. And Mark's there and asks if there's still a witch. And Paul just comes out and says, Real killed it. And Riel says she might paint the room a little red. Mark asks Ball if he still sees <laughs> Nygak, and he says your ghosts follow. But it's when you let them in that he could start to face himself. Then the inspectors right. start making lists of, oh, they shouldn't be barbecuing. They shouldn't be changing the walls, blah, blah, blah. But then they leave, and the couple seems happy. As they turn away, we see Nygak standing in the kitchen, and the couple are surrounded by the ghosts of those who died on Sudan, in Sudan, or on the journey. And Rial takes his hand, and all the ghosts are gone, and the credits roll. And one so, thing to point out short, the inspectors are there. That sorry, that the uh, the one inspector saw a rug in the kitchen over little burn marks or something on the edge. So now we get like a lot of these movies. Oh my God, that was real. It didn't just happen in their head. There's physical proof to other people. That's the hole where the, where the apath crawled out of. So maybe it was just covering yeah. the hole on the floor. 
but yeah, it's, it's right. um, one of those kind of movies where, you know, if you, if you're willing to come to grips with the things you've done and you have someone who's willing to stand with you, you can survive this kind of nonsense, but you have to go through a whole heck of a lot to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I understand his guilt about grabbing the girl, but, and if he hadn't done that, yes, she would not have died, but more than likely she would have died in the country anyway. And his not saving her absolutely feel that guilt, you know, but would he have been able to save her or would he have drowned with her or would his wife, wife have drowned because he didn't help yeah. her. It's, it's really a ton of not necessarily worse choices, but horrible situations. Yes. And what would you do? Yeah. You know, that's, that's really what it comes down to. I'm not trying to judge this man. He judged himself much more harshly than any movie watcher would probably yeah. do. Yeah people make really bad decisions when they're in really bad situations. And that's kind of what this movie highlights that and the kind of um, horrific kind of things you have to go through, you know, in the refugee process. Like, I mean, I know in the States, especially now there's the whole, Oh, you know, there's no political asylum, all this other stuff, but you hear about refugees in other countries and, never really gave it a whole lot of thought to, well, I wonder how it works there. And this movie does a really good job of saying this out works. It's not pretty. Right. Yeah. And, and arguably did he make bad choices? I mean, we're judging it as we're sitting in our comfy chairs in a house that has a roof. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they literally were getting shot at. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean bad choices. Like he made a poor choice in judgment. I mean like a bad choice where, there's no other option. The only option is a bad choice. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to make sure it was clear. Anyone listening, not judging us that we're not judging that making commentary on it, that it, it would, the situation sucked. Yes, absolutely. More than sucked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the noble thing would have been to get Nygak and her mother on the bus, you know, realizing that it's too full and they're only taking women but with children. That wouldn't work. Well, and the thing is, it's easy to say that, but the people who do that go down in history as like the most sainted people ever, right? True. That is not the kind of behavior of normal. That's not the behavior of normal people. And, you know, I get it. Right. And in that situation, would you go, oh, me and my wife will stay here and die so you and your daughter can get on the bus and live? Uh, You know, and screw being a saint, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You can't, I'm not holding anyone at fault. I'm just pointing out that, you know, this is a really bad situation he was in and that's why these decisions get made. And if you're going to sit there and be like, Oh, well, you know, the noble thing would have been to be that, do that. Well, yeah. But you know, when they do, when those kind of things happen, songs are written about those people, you know? That's how rare this right. this kind of selfless behavior occurs. Well, and songs are written about those people because they're now dead. <laughs> you know, I mean, again, it goes yeah. back to uh, great. You you now have songs written about you, but you're dead. Yes. Arguably, you know, people have done worse than what he did. Oh, for sure. Uh, to not die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, 
And it really kind of shows what good people they are to have such guilt about it. Uh, I think, well, I think, well, yeah, now I'm just going to be kind of, if you find yourself in a crappy situation like that and you get out, it seems like to me there would be like one of two ways of looking at it. Either one, you would be justifying it to yourself all the time, or two, you would have some sort of guilt about it. it people constantly have survivor's guilt where they had no no bearing about anything. They just so happen to be lucky enough to live, and that bothers them. Right. So it, it just, right. yeah, it seems to me that that's the kind of situation you would find yourself in. You would either be justifying what you did and being like, no, it was okay. What I did was fine. Or you would have to, like they did go through this whole process to come to grips with what you did and, you know, apologize to the spirits for the, for the horrible situation they were in, but come to grips with it yourself so you can go forward. So. Yeah. And you know, so it's a good movie on the human nature on some history of the world, uh, you know, some political type statements all using the horror medium yeah. to get that message across. that's the beauty of horror and, movies you know, a nice blend there. yeah you can address a yeah. whole lot of stuff in horror movies in fact i was thinking of making lists for other seasons and one of them was like horror movies that are talking about something else entirely and then i started thinking about them, like almost all of them do so really <laughs> that's not much of a list it's not very exclusionary <laughs> Season six, 375 yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be like a Dragon Ball Z episode thing. <laughs> All right, so what do we got next up? Next up, we have another Netflix uh, exclusive. And this one, there's no ambiguity Ooh. about this. This is flat out what's there is there. This is Apostle. Okay, I haven't seen this one. Don't Excellent. Worry. Oh, you're going to watch it cool. and you're going to think, is this a horror movie? But I'm going to say you hang on till the end. Ooh. Yep. All right. Well, that, that sounds intriguing. Excellent. All right. Well, until then, awesome. I will talk to you later. All right. Sir. Take it easy. You have been listening to horror lasagna to see all of our seasons and listen to all of the movie reviews with all the themes for each season. Check out horrorlasagna.com. And if you like the podcast, like the movies and reviews, please give us a like, share with a friend, subscribe to our Facebook page, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, pass it along, let people know, tell us, hey, I liked it. That was a good movie. Thank you. We would appreciate it. The creature slips from perception. 